There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Coming up on today's episode of the Chase Almost Podcast, the Friday, November 10th, 2023 edition of the program. We've got Preds Power Hour with On The Forecheck's Brian Baston and Flames Nation and On The Forecheck's own Jeff Middleton to talk all things Nashville Predators. Oh yeah, tough week on the road trip. So we talk about the Preds road trip, talk about how uh, Andrew Burnett is using his uh, lines uh, to this point in the year. Ryan O'Reilly, early surprise with him. Tomasino and Parsonen issues there long-term. Forsberg uh, catching fire a little bit of late. And then some positive notes on where the Preds sit after 13 games to start the NHL season. Then we've got Connor O'Gara. Old friend of Saturday Down South to talk all things uh, Tennessee, Missouri, and UGA with the top of the SEC East, how things will go with Tennessee and Mizzou, how things will go between Georgia and Ole Miss, Brock Bowers returning for injury, potentially how Carson Beck and Joe Milton have been uh, to this point uh, in the year, and then why uh, Tennessee might be able to beat uh, Georgia next week inside Neyland. So all that and more coming up next. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Fred's Power here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ over there in Nashville, Tennessee. The one, the only, on the four check zone. Brian Baston. Brian, good evening, sir. How are you? I am doing all right. Um, not a great, not a great uh, lead into the to the show tonight with, mm. with watching the Preds game. But you know what? I'm excited. I'm always excited to be here with you with you two. So let's let's get this going. No, and we're we're gonna get into this uh, road trip for the Preds. That uh, let me check my notes here. Did not go well uh, to this point. So um, we'll dive into what's happened uh, for Nashville momentarily. But before we do that, Jeff Middleton of Flames Nation on the forecheck, uh, the Nashville soccer blog, Pinstripe Alley. He's commentating Miami Redhawks games. 
he he saw that I'm putting out 13 pods a week and was like, let me see, <laughs> hold my beer. I, I can put produce more content. I can be busier than Chase uh, during my collegiate career. Jeff, good evening. How are you? I'm I'm very good. I uh, finished up some Buffalo Wild Wings before this before this appearance, so I'm I'm super excited. What's your go to wing order? Uh, well, so me and my buddies we go on um, Bogo Boneless Thursdays. So we get so we usually get the I usually get the ten mm. Bogo Boneless, which ends up being twenty wings. Uh, usually decide between mild and medium as a game time decision. Okay. Um, for all of them. Uh. Whether or not I get fries with them is 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 also a game time decision. Tonight I tonight I did not. Mm. Um, yeah, usually twenty weeks. Beat up fries. You have like a two minute shelf life on them before. <laughs> oh they, yeah, they go really yeah. bad. So they're good. Yeah. It's just only immediately. Mm. But, yeah, no, the vibes the vibes are good. Although the the Preds lost, my guy Tomasino scored, so that helps that helps things a little yeah. bit. But it was a rough night overall. There you go, Brian. What's your go to wing order? What are your favorite kind of wings? Um, I am I'm pretty basic. Like I will go with like a spicy, like you know, like a regular buffalo, um, or you know, something that's like a like a, some of them have a lot of those like ginger, like a spicy ginger ones. Those which are, are good. really good. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm also pretty basic, and I'll do like lemon pepper and and uh, garlic parmesan too, because sometimes garlic I just wanna, parm is the goat. Garlic I just wanna, parm. <laughs> I just want to house thirty wings and not think garlic, about it. Garlic parm is the go-to order for a lot of my buddies. So I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll garlic you, parm Jack, I could kill every day and never get tired of it. <laughs> it's very smart to do that. Do that because I think in college in Knoxville one year there was a one of the one of the years we had five of the seven n- uh, nights of the week you could get cheap or discounted wings somewhere close by, and so you'd have you'd have two nights at beat ups because it was buy one get one for boneless and and regular uh 50 cent wing night over at hooters i remember and mm. um then like you get cheap when uh, what's the what's the old chicken finger place uh in knoxville that was there roosters no it's one that was a long like it was one of the original ones that was out there near the strip and mm. i just can't think of the name it might be gone because the strip is changing brian i don't know if you've been through yeah there, i don't recognize the house i go every like three years and it looks completely different so yeah did yeah. did you know um copper cellar has gone off the strip now too no way really yeah How, when did that happen uh, a couple months ago wow they're turning it all into housing student housing yeah That's, the whole strip basically that doesn't they're moving... surprise me at all i mean yeah. it doesn't but copper cellar is like a lot that I mean, was tough nothing stays alive on on the strip really for too long but copper cellar was like a mainstay like that had been there for decades yeah. i think Oh, oh yeah, the, really, they still have really the one on uh, on Kingston Pike. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Kingston good. Pike's still there, but uh, yeah, no, that's uh, it was tough. I just feel like I ruined Brian's night, Jeff. I I just gave that him, is... I just dropped a bombshell. <laughs> I mean that that place was oh man, that's this that's brutal. crazy. I didn't know that the, this was brutal. Ones... This is my fault. Shouldn't have done it. Fifty years. The vibes Jay. are off. <laughs> Fifty years. It was. It started in 1975. Like that's crazy man wow huh anyways yes goodness gracious <laughs> the listeners are like brian is crestfallen how does the show go on um but well, I've, got, I've got so many stories from from what all nine years i was in knoxville uh <laughs> at copper cellar i mean it's that's crazy to me to think that that's it's not there anymore wow anyways let's talk about nashville <laughs> dang brutal 
yeah. brutal. That is my fault, folks, for uh, the, the, really the update is. here on what's going on in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee at the moment. Um, but as we alluded to at the top of the show, bad road trip for the Nashville Predators. Uh, they go one and four, outscored uh, 21 to 14 uh, in that span. They obviously tonight, uh, as recording this on Thursday night, y'all are hearing this on Friday morning. Um, they were uh, they lost to the Jets tonight, six to three. I mean, this was not what you wanted to see, especially back to back with the Flames and the Jets. But uh, Brian, we'll start with you. What uh, what is your immediate reaction to what happened uh, on this road trip for the Preds? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're starting to see that, you know, this is a young team. This is a new team. We, we've talked about that ad nauseum. Um, but, you know, we're, I think you started to see where this team it has a lot of bursts where they where they look really good and they do a lot of things right. I think, um, you know, you saw the line with with Novak and Kiefer Sherwood and uh, Luke Evangelista have played really well. And it's, you know, it's not a mistake because the, that that trio did a lot of good things together in Milwaukee over the past couple of years too. So they've got chemistry, which is great because that's something that a lot of the other forward lines don't have. Um, you know, we talk about the line blender a lot, but I, I think that the line blender as it is, is probably not, I'm, I haven't paid really much mind any mind to it this season, but just for the fact that, you know, this is the first time brunette's getting a chance to like really look at these players and see where they fit. And, and, you know, he's not fighting for every standings point at this, at, at this point in time. So, um, but you know, there's a lot of things that you can look at and point at and say like, yeah, this is a team that still has a lot to, lot to, you know, learn a lot to grow. And it's the first, you know, it was a, what it was back to Halloween was the first, uh, first game. So that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that's not a great, it's a five game road trip all very far from home. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it didn't look great. It wasn't fun at times. I can't still can't believe that they, they beat up on Edmonton. Um, that's just more of an indictment on how bad Edmonton is this season. Mm. Um, but, you know, you look at a couple of things. The two things that stuck out is the, you know, the play of the special team. So in this five-game road trip, they, had, uh, they went three for 20 on the power play, which is 15%, which would put them at about 25th in the NHL, like, overall, which is no good. I mean, especially, uh, I think every game, uh, in, in this, they had at least three power plays. Um, or I'm sorry. Yeah, they had at least uh, at least two. I think they had more than they had four and five in like the other four games. So like really it's the Calgary game was the only time that they didn't give up, you know, have two more than two penalties. And so that's not great. And we had seen a lot of improvement um, on the homestand before they went on the trip on the power play. And so I think they can get it back together uh, that way. But I think the thing that's a little bit more concerning is, is, the, is the penalty kill. Um, they went 12 for 17 on the road trip, 70%, which is, again, not very good. And UC Saros is, is again, he's really kind of struggling on the penalty kill just because you know they're, the penalty kill is not doing a whole lot for him. And Why know, is he struggling talk- on the penalty kill? Because uh, the teams are just getting are out-muscling the Predators. Um mm. You're losing a, some of these penalties are guys like you lose a Cole Smith, you lose a Jeremy Lazan. Yeah, like these guys are going to take penalties, but unfortunately, they're also incredible p- penalty killers. I mean, two names that, again, we don't hear, you know, said in a positive light too often, but you can't deny like Jeremy Lazan, Cole Smith, uh, Yakov Trenton, Colton Sissons. Like those are all guys that are invaluable to have on, on the on the penalty kill. And all those guys have missed time or have, you know, had a lot of time Cole Smith was out of the game for 17 minutes tonight because of his uh, instigator penalty and his, um, you know, so that's, you lose that and it doesn't, you know, it can't go well. And so uh, 70% is not, not great. <laughs> yeah. um, sure that those, those are two huge areas. I think that, that Nash uh, brunette's probably going to focus in, but 
you know, I wouldn't have expected them to come out of this road trip with more than four points. Um, so two is, is fine. It's obviously not what you want to see. I mean, Predators sitting at what 29th in the in the NHL right now, dead last in the Central. It, it's early, but you know, there's there were there have been sparks throughout most of these games, um, except for maybe the Calgary game where they just. It, I've never seen a team with a two goal lead look more like they were being dominated and, and being shut out than, than Nashville was in the first two periods uh, against Calgary, but they've got a lot to go. Uh, we saw, we caught, saw a lot of stuff from Forsberg and O'Reilly, which was great. We saw Novak Sherwood and Evangelista look good. Um, got to see a new rookie, Mark Delgado on this road trip and he's looked all right. He's got, he has three assists in his first three NHL games. So awesome stuff. But there's a lot of work to be done. This is what rebuilding looks like. This is what we all ask for. And so this is what we get. Yeah. I mean, and it's coming at you fast. Jeff Middleton is the rebuild on. And also you've been uh, you've been tweeting a lot about the lines and the line usage uh, over the last couple of days from uh, Coach Burnett. What did what did you see tonight uh, with the lines and really uh, with the Flames, too? Are they improving? Do you understand more of where he's going? Where are you at with that? Well, I think I I think I I think the answer would be that I understand what he's trying to do and I understand the the thought process behind you know the actions that he's taking but I doesn't mean I agree with them um you know we Alex Doherty um put out a a a thing a, a thread on Twitter about uh you know Yusuf Parsonen's place since being relegated from the Forsberg and O'Reilly line at which, you know, they were fantastic. And obviously I think some of this has to do with, you know, new coach coming in, seeing what he's got, seeing who meshes well with who, you know, you might see Parson and Forsberg O'Reilly back on the same line again at some point during the season. It would shock me if that didn't happen again. Um, especially, I mean, especially because it, it kind of seems like that third guy on that line is kind of a like, like whatever because Forsberg and O'Reilly's connection is nuts. They they've been playing really well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, the line uh, that especially, you know, this, we saw this happen, you know, last year too. Uh, and the years before that, where, you know, guys who, you know, have, I wouldn't say a tenure of performing well, but they have, you know, they have some evidence to suggest that they can perform well when put in the right spots, aren't getting the opera for whatever reason, they aren't getting the opportunity to play in a position that would help them do that. Um, you know, Ellie Tolvanen is the obvious example here. You know, he's scores a bunch of goals when he's up on the top six and playing in the top penalty kit pot or t- pop top power play. Sorry. Um, and and then he gets relegated to the third or fourth line. He kind of hovers around the middle six, is moved down to the second power play unit, and then I think eventually off the power play entirely. Like, uh, and that's you know, he gets moved off of that for you know. There's guys that come in who are you know, they they take his spot in that top six because I guess you know just <laughs> we didn't really know whether or not John Hines what his what was behind those decisions. Um, you know, it, it didn't really make a ton of sense. Um, but then you see him go to Seattle and he's playing on the top power play unit. He's in the top six or, you know, he's getting top six minutes uh, because 
Dave Haxtell loves to spread the wealth in terms of time on ice, um, especially for that that team, the way it's built. Um, and the same thing happened with Tomasino. And I tweeted out, uh, you mentioned it, I tweeted out earlier, you know, it's, I think that it's very funny that in a, in a cynical sort of way that you, you sc- healthy scratch a kid in Yuso Parson and who, you know, everybody knows what you have in Yuso Parson and, and how, how skilled he is. Um, but you scratch him for not performing well after putting him in this poor position. And then you put in Philip Tomasino and do the exact same thing to him. Like I, I just, I, it doesn't, I, again, I get what the point is. And I think, you know, Barry Trotz went on one two point five, I believe, and talked about how you have to do, you know, you have to earn it. Right. And that's, I think that's important. You know, you're not going to give a, a, a roster, so a roster spot in the top six to a guy that hasn't earned it. But, you know, I think of all people, or of all players, I think that Parson and Tomasino have done a fair amount to earn it, especially Parson. And I think, you know, he he's, he's shown a lot over these last, you know, year or two. And he's, he's just been, he's been really good. And, and we saw him with Forsberg last year do really well. Um, so moving him off that line, I think was a little bit confusing. And with Tomasino, you saw in his first year, he wasn't, you know, scoring a ton but his defense was really, really good. It was some of the best on the Preds. And then last year, after being in Milwaukee, he improved his scoring rate. He went up to about half a point per game, if not, I think, a little bit more. So I think that, you know, at some point, I I, I, I asked this question, you know, at some point, when does it become that it's not the player's fault? Because now it's not just a Tomasino thing, I think, from, you know, now that we've seen this happen with Parson, who was clicking along at a really solid pace with Forsberg and O'Reilly, he, he gets demoted and he starts playing with these guys who are not as good as he is. And that's evident both in the numbers and, you know, watching the game, but then, you know, we, that becomes a, a, an issue. Like why is, you know, at first it's like, okay, why is Tomasino not performing this well when he's playing with these guys? Like he needs to earn that. But then uh, Parsonen, who is a fan favorite, everybody likes him. He goes down and it plays with those same guys and doesn't do well. When does that become an, a, a, a putting guys in the position to succeed problem and not a it's an it's the individual players problem? These are, I mean, these are still young guys, and I think that's really important. But, yeah, the line blender, you know, they, I think Andrew Burnett has found some solid connections within the within the lines, but there's still questions that need to be answered when it comes to how he's deploying some of these young guys. So are you ready for Trotz to take over uh, and do a dual <laughs> type role or do you think Burnett deserves a little bit more time? Oh, he definitely deserves more time. I think, I think that game 20 is when you're thinking more. Yeah, exactly. No, I think, I think his system has been really good, you know, for all, for the gripes I might have with how the lines are being rolled out, I guess not even rolled out because, but more, you know, decided or how they, you know, come out on the, on the lineup sheet. I think that, you know, the system is fantastic and we're seeing that, you know, high danger chances galore. And I'm a big fan of that. So Brian positive or negative, thus far and also the biggest surprise from ryan o'reilly uh in his early preds tenure for you i mean i'm surprised how well he's fit in and uh i'm surprised i'm still kind of shocked that you know he decided to come to nashville i mean it's he you know he's still a very very good player and he might right right now be the best player for the nashville predators right now and that might be including uc soros i mean he has been pretty phenomenal um you know, I he's really gelled well, like like Jeff said, with um, 
with Philip Forsberg. So it's it's been a great line to watch. He's been in it almost, you know, every game he's helping them helping them win. Like it's been really impressive to watch him. And I've always liked him um and his other, you know, other places he's been, like St. Louis, things like that. But he's just, you know, he's bringing a level that we're not used to seeing too much on this team right now. Cause you can tell like, this is a guy who just, you know, crossed the threshold for, for a thousand games in the NHL. He knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he, he was the one who had the hat trick against, against Edmonton, which he should have had four goals in that game, but that's beyond the point. Um, but I mean, he's, he's been incredible. Seven goals on the season. Um, I think that's still, he still gives him the team lead. Um, I think 11 points on the season, which should be up there, uh, I think second or third. Second, so yeah, second. Yeah. And so he's been, he's been incredible. I have no complaints whatsoever for Ryan O'Reilly. Um, he's been playing like a man possessed. He, it's been such a cool thing to watch. He's, he's the kind of center. I think that it's gotta be frustrating for David Poyle who spent years and years trying to, you know, not being able to ever draft a center uh, really to sit at all, uh, especially in the last 10 years or so. And so, you know, his white whales were these big free agent, you know, centers that you're Kyle Turris, you're Ryan Johansson, you're Matt Duchesne, um, you know, all guys that for whatever reason, or, you know, didn't work out for Nashville. And then you go and sit there and think like this Ryan O'Reilly, you know, this season for Ryan O'Reilly and put him on some of the teams, you know, maybe two or three seasons ago. And maybe he makes a difference. I mean, he's just been, he's been very good. And so there's, there's absolutely no complaints. Um, you know, he kind of disappeared on the road trip, which is a little bit unfortunate besides the game at Edmonton. Um, I think he just had a, he just had a, uh, a single point, I think in the, on the road trip outside of outside of the night, he had four, uh, four points against Edmonton, but you know, that's when, when, when he can't, when he's not producing, then that's when Philip Forsberg stepped up. And so like, you know, look at Philip Forsberg and them helping each other out. And those in the last six games, Philip Forsberg has three goals and 10 points. Um, and he's got a point in five out of those six games. So it takes time, you know, for this is we're long past the years of the Jofa line with Johansson and Arvidsson and Forsberg being on the top line every single game. Um, and we're probably not, we may not have another year where we have, you know, Forsberg and somebody else getting 40 goals, but I, you know, Ryan O'Reilly has done a lot and I think he's helped to elevate Philip Forsberg's game. And honestly, you know, you can put pretty much anybody else on that line with him, with those two, and they're going to fit in. So I, I've been very happy with that so far. Jeff Tomasino benched, played in just seven games, Parsonen scratched uh, in favor of him tonight. Um, who do you think uh, is in more trouble, or do you think they're in an equal amount of trouble uh, under this current regime? I had to pick one. It's probably Tomasino. Mm. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard because it's still very early in the season, um, and but it but it does feel like the current coaching staff has more faith in Yusuf Parson and to put him in the top six than they do in Tomasino. Um, do you see Wash? Um, I, I think. Parson and I mean they're different players, right? Like I think that Parson and is if you're gonna if you're gonna try and fit somebody with the Ryan O'Reilly and the Philip Forsberg types, I think Parson and is is the guy. Like I mean, mm. as much as I love Tomasino's speed for that line, I think that all three of those guys, I think Parson and fits into that you know 
power forward can play a solid two-way game kind of molds that that line like physically you know they're bigger guys you know they're not like tall but they're more mature physically like i think that that those those guys all all on the same line are are a threat in both zones and and along the walls and and in transition too even though they're not the fastest they're going to be uh they're going to be dangerous in that kind of way because they can you know the where they where they lack speed they make up for in skill um and i think that you know i think that's probably why and honestly part of me thinks that if we might be having a different conversation if the uh evangelista novak sherwood line wasn't as good as they are Hmm. um just because if there's going to be a place that Tomasino fits it's probably there um because when you think about it i mean that's that's the second line is 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 those guys um and you know eventually those guys other than sherwood i mean sherwood's sherwood's all speed for checking you know he he can make plays too but that's kind of his forte and then tommy novak's the methodical smart vision visionary on the ice um, and eventually is the skills, you know, he's not, none of those guys are speedsters, but they're all, you know, they're, they're very smart with the puck, especially because Tommy Novak can drive that line. He, he's very, he's, you know, he, we've watched him, you know, last year and this year kind of just, you know, dice his way through de- NHL defenses, like it's nothing. And then find, you know, Sherwood on the back door or whatever, or, you know, for example, against Calgary made a, you know, blocked a shot and then, flipped one over to Sherwood on the break and then Sherwood and Evangelista play a little catch and, you know, they end up scoring the second goal to go up to nothing. Um, and I think, you know, I, I mentioned this in the, a little earlier, it's like, you know, where it's tough. Cause you don't, at that point, where does, where does Tomasino fit? You know, you have, you know, Trenton, Smith and Sissons, those guys, you know, you're bruisers and you're going to four check hard. They're going to attack, offense is probably going to be limited and then you have Michael McCarron and Liam Foody and that's where uh that's kind of where he is um and you have you know now that Gus Nyquist is playing on the top line with Forsberg and O'Reilly you kind of have to decide whether or not you want Parson or Tomasino and it's just kind of a it's it's a lot of the same things that we've seen for a while now is that there's this roster log jam where you can't get, you know, as much as it's nice to see Luke Evangelista playing, uh, you know, it's consistent minutes, Tommy Novak's playing consistent minutes. Uh, you know, there's, there was an extra signing or two that's preventing all of the young guys that, you know, should be getting consistent NHL time from getting consistent NHL time. In this case, I think it was Gus Nyquist, which I like Gus Nyquist, but I think like it's, you know, you have to kind of, I mean, I think Parsons kind of gets the benefit of the doubt here, I would say. Um, But, but I mean, I don't know that, I mean, it's also because it's only been 13 games, but I mean, there you know, 13 players for the Preds have played in every single game Um, Four four defensemen, nine forwards. So that's, you know, that's, three out of the four lines worth of, of forwards and two thirds of the defensive pairs. Um, Fabro and McDonough have both um, have both, or sorry, Fabro and, Par- uh, and Parson have both missed one game. So that's just one game out. But I mean, after that it's McDonough who's been injured and then Tomasino. 
who's has seven games. The rest of them, Liam Foody, he was kind of a mid-season or, or mid-season uh, arrival. Cody Glass has been on IR. McCarron, Fajimo, Delgaizo, Luke Shen. Like the guys that are below Tomasino and as many games played are all, they all have, you know, varying reasons as to why they weren't in the lineup. And, you pro- you know, you couldn't expect them to be in the lineup because they either weren't on the team yet or they were recently called up or they've been injured. Um, so really, I mean, looking at it, um, you know, of like the 18, you know, players, uh, skaters that are the team ices, you know, 13 of them have, have stayed the same. 15 of those 18 have only, you know, have played in every game or t- at least 12 games. So, you know, Tomasino's unfortunately, you, you know, you can talk also about like Jeff did and make very good points about the line composition and his line mates. But, you know, s- most of these guys, Brunette has been putting on the ice and has kept them on the ice um for you know the entire season so far and so when you look at these guys who are struggling um you know Tomasino struggled to start the season Fabro had a little bit of a hiccup and came out of a game so you know it's it'd be different if we were seeing guys getting more time you know ahead of him that shouldn't be but I can't really argue that point for anybody so far I mean there's nobody you know outwardly bad right now that was you know wasn't performing uh better than Tomasino and so this is kind of what happens but again he's you know he's played in over half the games um he's still I think he's still waiver uh exempt so if he wanted to go down he could but I don't think they need to I think it's it's benefiting him right now to get this practice time in and get in time with uh with the NHL staff because I think that you know Tomasino he he's done the AHL thing and he's probably too good you know he's pretty good he'll be a top level player in the AHL, but that's not what he needs. It's it's, he just needs to continue making that next step and also making uh, Jeff look better after his campaign for Tomasino all off season. So I will have, I will have everyone know that Tomasino had a 92.35 expected goals for percentage tonight, leading the team. So yeah, he's also shooting 25%. So here you go. Hey, well, speaking I'll of take it, speaking of shooting, Philip Forsberg, not a lot of goals to this point. Is he unlucky? Is it just what's going on and what's real with uh, Philip Forsberg and the lack of goals right out of the gate here, Brian? Um, I mean, it's Phil. I mean, he's done well, again. He's getting used to a new line mate. Um, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, come out with, you know, having like three or four goals every week, you know, but, you know, four goals is fine. It's good for fourth on the team. Um, he's got 14 points, which he leads the team with. And then you look at his numbers on the power play. I mean, he's got six power play points and oh, with one goal. Uh, that's more points than every, anybody else. Um, and then Ryan O'Reilly and Tommy Novak both have four goals on the power play, which is crazy to me. Um, but like he's making his presence felt. I mean, if you look in the Calgary game, I posted a clip on Twitter that uh, that night of just the relentless work that Philip Forsberg has been doing. Um, you know, he was he probably skated a total of about 600, 700 feet on like a single 50 minute, a 50 second shift. I mean, just was in the middle of everything, disrupted things, cleaned up other people's turnovers, made, you know, goal saving blocks, things like that. And so it'll come, um, you know, he's only shooting uh, 8% right now, which is obviously kind of below than what he used, he, he should be. And so I'm not that worried about him, you know, only having four goals because, you know, Hey, there's only three guys on the team right now that have more than him. 
because uh, this is a team that's not very good and is struggling to get goals. Again, the road trip, you know, they had 14 goals, which was a little under um, three a game. Um, so, you know, it's it's hard, uh, especially when you having to play a lot of time on the on the um, on special teams as well. It it kind of hurts your chances if you're not scoring on the power play. So. I'm not worried about Phil Forsberg. I think he's getting hot now. Like I said, six points um, or 10 points and three goals in the last six games. So that's the field that we're kind of, that's what we're used to. Um, so I, I think, you know, watching him play despite the, these last two games being losses. I mean, he's put in a hell of an effort. I mean, tonight only two goals before Tomasino scored that, you know, one in garbage time. So um, I think he's, he's rising up, but I, I mean, I've been super, Super pleased with his defensive play. I mean, he's been evolving as a two-way player for the last four or five years. But I think with Ryan O'Reilly, uh, you know, centering him, I think he's really come into his own uh, playing on both ends of the ice. I like it. Um, positives, though. Um, they're 5-8 and eight now, last in the Central, 29th in NHL. As we go into Arizona on Saturday, Anaheim on Tuesday, and then uh, the Chicago Bedards. Uh, next Saturday, as we wrap up here tonight, y'all, what are the positives? What uh, what are that you've seen through thirteen games, uh, Jeff? That you've you're like, hey, this is positive. This is a positive sign. Positive coaching style. Positive development. Positive scheme that I like. What what are what can fans look forward to? Uh, even if the wins may not necessarily be there uh, all that much this year. Well, I mean, yeah, I think that you know you hate seeing them lose in the fashions that they've lost in recently but i think that if you're going to a preds game over this next home stretch you have one a fun system that's gonna you know even if they lose they're gonna create some havoc it's gonna be a chaotic game uh you know they're gonna score some goals more than likely um they're gonna get plenty of chances and that's gonna bode well for them and down the road um, you know, you have the Forsberg and O'Reilly connection, which we've talked about ad nauseum here. You know, they've, they're going to create something. They're going to score. Um, and if they're not scoring, you know, they're going to create momentum for somebody else to score. Um, that, you know, Novak line the with Novak Evangelista and Sherwood, those guys are electric every night. Like you got, you, when you go into a game at Bridgestone, you know that they're going to, you know, be creating some some havoc they're going to start you know use their skill you're going to probably see some flashy passes from Tommy Novak from time to time um you know UC Saros is is a great goalie that's kind of been the victim of poor defense um I think that this road trip doesn't really encapsulate how good the special teams have been um at least in terms of process I think that the power play itself uh you know I'm, I'm not I'm more focused on the power play when it comes to special teams, just because that's easier to kind of address the system. Um, but I think that the power play, the puck movement, I mean, it's just, it's like nothing I have ever seen before having watched the Preds all of my life. Like these guys, I, I mean, I vividly remember talking to my dad like a year or two ago about how, you know, it doesn't seem like these dudes know how to pass like straight up there, they can't connect three passes together in a row without fumbling it or without, you know, throwing it out of the zone or, or whatever. 
but now it looks like, you know, they could do it all day long. Just every pass is tape to tape and it's, it's fun to watch. It's a fun style of hockey. You get the defense moving chances created in front of the net. Like it's just, it's fun to watch their special teams now. And that's something that I don't think a lot of Preds fans have had the chance to experience, you know, 2017. I don't remember their special teams being exceptionally good. And, nope. you know, since then it hasn't been that great other than the, the, you know, fluke 2020 was it 2021, 22 year when Forsberg and Duchesne scored all those goals. Um, but yeah, I, like, I think that that's a big, a big positive, you know, going into the, the, the next stretch of games is you have teams that, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be fun to watch at even strength just because you have guys on the other team, obviously, you know, Arizona, you have Logan Cooley, Clayton Keller, all those guys. I mean, they're, they're unbelievably talented. Um, I think that, you know, the Arizona's in a very interesting team just because they've done more than I think a lot of people have expected. And they, you know, their process has been good. Um, Anaheim also another team that's been kind of pretty good actually. Um, you know, Trevor Zegers hasn't been great, but he's, you know, he's so skilled. Uh, the guy to watch on, on uh, Anaheim right now is, is uh, Pavel Minchikov. Minchikov. He's been lighting it up on defense for them. He's a smooth skating defenseman that's creating a bunch of offense for them. Um, uh, like, yeah, I like these these teams and obviously, you know, Chicago's Connor Bedard 4.9 tonight, you know, nothing, nothing too, not too shabby there on the mom's road trip. But uh, yeah, I think that not only are you going to get to watch some good, you know, players on opposing teams that are going to make, you know, the Preds young guys give them a run for their money. Um, but I think that the process when it, when you're looking at the Preds has been, I think it's been pretty good for the most part, other than I think the last couple of games, the Calgary game in particular, uh, I think that there's, there's a, a solid foundation that they've built in terms of where they're generating their chances, how they're generating their chances, their transition game, what they're doing with and without the puck. I think that, I think that there's, you know, enough to look forward to, to where this, this home stretch could be, you know, could get them back to the 500 range. Do you agree, Brian? Oh yeah, no, I'm I am fully bought in on Andrew Brunette hockey for all the reasons <laughs> that that Jeff said. I mean, it, the results aren't there yet. Um, you were pretty dead. You were out on the hind there, like you were you were dragging at the end there. Uh, yeah, again, like I have my thoughts about about you know the hand that that Hines was dealt and things that was going on, but it, it's not. I mean, again, like it wasn't anything innovative. He did improve the team, you know. It, you know, over La Violette and, uh, you know, but Brunette has just been really excellent to watch his system. Like people who casual fans, people who are watching all the time, like you can tell there's a difference in this team. The results aren't there, but the process is, is, is getting there. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes. They're, they're really, I mean, this is a team that's, they're not doing the dump and chase very much anymore. You know, they're not relying solely on praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they're they're Hallelujah. players. Players are moving on the power play, which is just you know a phenomenal thing. But I mean, it's it makes me. I'm most pleased with the fact that, like brunette whether or not we want to talk about it as being an analytics things or you just want to be an on the ice get to the get to the crease get in front of the goaltender and and score goals like shot quality has been just a massive massive difference so uh, i had written something uh today actually for uh for the 
the network side for four hockey fans uh, talking about shot quality this season and teams, you know, how that, what that indicates as far as teams being, you know, if they're shooting hot, if they're not getting enough goals, things like that. Nashville right now is second uh, in, the, in the NHL at five on five uh, from evolving hockey in shot average shot quality. So basically, you know, are they taking the more dangerous shots more often? Are those the bigger majority of that? I mean, and here's like what they're, what their rankings in the NHL have been. So if you go back to the 2019, uh, 2020 season uh, with, with La Violette, they were 28th next mm. season, the COVID um, season, they were 29th. The uh, season after that 27th last year, they did jump up to 12th, which was really nice, but then they've gone up to second now and they're continuing to be one of these teams. And, you know, and so that's impressive. You're, they're taking better shots. They're not taking nearly as many. They're getting outshot quite a bit, but they're taking higher quality shots. But then you go and if you want to go and look at, you know, compare that to their shooting percentage. I mean, their shooting percentage is sitting at about 7%. Um, I think it's probably in the bottom eight or so of the NHL. Um, and it's, it's you know, literally, I think the, the one thing that they're, the only thing, like, and you look at, um, you know, uh, goals above replacement, look at the gar and things like that, like, it's shooting that's that's tearing you know that's holding them back. I mean, they're you know as I wrote in the article, Nashville um, is one of the biggest teams that looks like they will be due to kind of finally catch up to regress a little bit. You know, so some teams you look at Minnesota in the Central, um, they're shooting something ridiculous like twelve percent as a team, um, but when it comes to looking at their shot quality, they're sitting at like six percent, and so it they're going to come crashing down too. It's not necessarily that it's going to be some catastrophic thing, but you know, teams regress towards the mean as the season goes on. And it, you know, whether that means that a team that's shooting bad is going to eventually start to shoot a little bit better or vice versa. uh, There's a lot going on. They're doing a lot of the things right. I think that they may at times be a little bit too much waiting for the perfect shot. Um, Every once in a while, you do have to have someone like Roman Yossi fire one or two from the blue line just to kind of create traffic, get guys in there. Um, But their their shot maps look so great. This is the I mean, offensively, this has been one of the like the better like teams to watch, even when they're you know Nashville teams to watch, even if they're losing, just because they're you know they're doing a lot of good things and a system like this and it being implemented like this, you know, imagine it with better players with more developed players, more experienced players, you know, maybe a year or two from now. And I think this is going to be a, a really fun team. I mean, just think about what Brunette did uh, in his time as an interim coach. I mean, it, he, he is as so far, at least he is as advertised and I'm, I'm super stoked about it. I like it. Uh, Jeff, what can the GoVex check out from you all across the internet this week? Oh boy. Uh, well, more Flames stuff, as usual. Uh, switching from the Preds' perspective, the Flames looked all right against the Predators the other night. Um, so, yeah, Flames stuff. Connor Zari is awesome. Uh, just going to throw that out there because um, probably going to have some stuff on him. Uh, Noah Hannafin's name has been in the rumors lately. Um, so, yeah, some stuff on that. Uh, had the Hannafin thing come out today. And then... Um, Big weekend for the Red Hawks. Uh, play Colorado College tomorrow and Saturday. So I'm going to be doing some broadcasting for that and going to have some articles out for the student newspaper. Uh, wrote an article today, or had an article published today, I should say, um, on their, on the team's start and why they look good and what they're doing well um, and why you should be optimistic after a, a fair amount of bad years in a row. Um, 
so yeah, that's that's kind of it. Have some stuff in the works as well. So keep on stay on the lookout. Yeah. There you go. Brian, what about you and the wonderful team over there at onthefortech.com? I don't have as much stuff as Jeff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um no, but uh so yeah, I've been um you know, of course, doing my normal Predators coverage, uh, jumping back in with Charlie after this recording, actually, to get hit, uh, one big stat going for, for the Renegades of Puck. Uh, so that's been great. The numbers have been phenomenal, um, you know, since since going independent before last season. So I, it's been really great to see. Um, done a few things for the um, the new networks, like main site, their hub page. Um, a couple of roundtables we talked about, um, you know, various topics like the Sharks being bad and, you know, who division leaders that will miss the playoffs, um, you know, talked about the gambling issue that that has arisen a little bit in the NHL, uh, stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, I'll be popping in sporadically. And then, of course, I did the one today looking at that shot quality, which, uh, you know, I had a section in there about the Predators specifically, but it was meant to be kind of a league league wide thing. So uh, give it, you know, give that a chance. Check it out. I think it was it, it was a pretty good one. Um, I was pretty proud of it. Uh, so yeah, doing that. And again, we're in the middle of hockey season. Um, I still don't know what to think about the Tennessee volunteers or the Dallas Cowboys. To no, be, to be for what Both are good. Actually, both are good yeah. and flawed and interesting. They're both ways. good enough that make like, it makes the losses be like, because it's just like, like there is, there are, there is hope for the, both of those teams. I think Dallas more so than, than Tennessee, as far as, you know, being a contender, um yeah i mean tennessee's really good tennessee can run the table i think they'll still probably finish nine and three i'll be in the building for georgia next week um i think they'll beat mizzou this weekend and then if old miss can pull big upset then you decide the east in Nealon, which is where you want to be in year three for for hypo no the defense is great uh milton's figured some stuff out he's completing nearly 80 percent of his passes they're running the ball down everybody's throat the last three weeks things are good it's like it you know this is where Jeff kind of has to, he, he leaves us a little bit with, uh, yeah, what's going with Vanderbilt week over week, uh, but thankfully he's made the move to Miami so he can just fully transition to the fighting. You're seven and two Miami Red Hawks. Football. Yeah. You're a Red Hawk. Now you, you, you <laughs> moved on. Like you don't have to claim the, the Vanderbilt. They win next anymore. week. They get a chance at the Mac championship. So that's exciting. Nice. There you go. Yeah. And I'm also yeah. like, just the Falcons are ruining my Sundays. Like, yeah, that's absolutely. what they've done for a long time. I mean, I, I was in hell Will though, Levis last is the Sunday. only reason I watch the Titans. Like, literally, it's the only mm. reason I watch them anymore. I'm going to give you two football hot takes really fast, then we can end this. First off, I, I think Levis is going to come back down to earth, and we're going to see Tannehill for about three, four games towards the end of the season. Not mm. saying he's bad. I just don't think he's going to turn and magically turn things around for Tennessee. And the other one is the Volunteers in the next two weeks are going to go one and one. And you can guess which one I'm thinking is is going to be the loss because they lose to Mizzou. I think absolutely that's what happens. Yeah. So you think, think they, they beat Georgia? I do because it's going to be that type of uh, that type of game, that type of season where they're going to Tennessee come out. hasn't lost to a home game since Georgia in 2021. Wow, look at that! Could it be yeah. I'm in the building for most of these? Who's to say? And most likely, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that Tennessee guy has gotten much better since I left. I left Knox County. I mean, those nine years since were, I, I got think, here, it's everything school HQ, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, in my time, when I was in Knoxville, we went through four football coaches, two women's basketball coaches, four men's basketball coaches. Um, the you know the Lady Vols dissolving as a brand outside of the basketball team. Like, 
Here's what's happening is we're losing restaurants while I'm here. Like uh, the the fun stuff is closing down with me here. The basketball, the athletic program is on the rise. But when Brian's here, the strips rolling. Restaurants oh, are great. Quite rolling, but yeah. Savelli's has never tasted better during Brian's era. Dead End Barbecue is just top. Those, top. Most of those places weren't even there when I was. Were they not? Savelli's was there. Where the Italian uh, place in uh, in South Knox? Oh yeah, I'm talking about the strip. I'm talking about or I shouldn't say what uh, West. Uh, it's by West High School. They both yeah. are. Uh, Sutherland. Yeah, I mean, that's like that. It's like oh, you know, I never, I barely ever. Did you ever do Savelli's? Uh uh-uh. uh Oh, no. next time you're in Knoxville. But top so, notch, unbelievable Italian food, lobster ravioli. It sounds awesome, but I can tell I Flames. can tell that you're you're older like me because you talk about all the fun things to do on a college campus, which is places to eat. Which that is mm-hmm. very much a a <laughs> older millennial be like, yeah, because I mean that's you know that's half the reason I travel. No, my wife and I we go to brunch on Sunday mornings, like in uh, Market Square, and it's just like all oh, the yeah. just pre gaming and everything else, and we're just like having a nice little coffee and doing a little walk, and might pop in a store and get a little gift for somebody and. People are, it's just chaos uh, yeah. around us where it's like, God, absolutely but, not to all of that. Let me get another club soda here and uh, <laughs> Market enjoy Square is my fun, stroll. I, I always enjoyed being out there, but I will say this. The season's been hard for Nashville so far. Five and eight is yeah. not great. It's not fun to watch a lot. But speaking of brunch, brunch rules, mimosas rule. Yes. Embrace that inner inner white college girl that loves mimosas because I am one of them. Brunch uh, is I, the best. It's the best meal. Like if yes, I could do brunch is. every day, I would do brunch every day. Brunch I'm, is fantastic. And, and I'm not much of a drinker, but I will slam mimosas like I like nothing just because it's, you know, I get my woo girl on. Sometimes the Nashville comes out, you know, uh, <laughs> but so, it's also so the food's just the best. And brunch is also because breakfast sucks. Let's just go ahead and say the reason breakfast sucks. I'm not. Hold on. It's the timing. I've never been hungry when I first wake up. I'm a coffee for several hours before yes. I am hungry. I don't want to eat first thing when I wake up. I need like I need hours. Brunch works out where I want that kind of food. I just wanted it like 1130. I wanted it like noon. I don't want that at 730 in the morning. I don't know how people eat like a full breakfast first thing in the morning. That is absurd to me. That's why, I, no matter that's how old I get, it'll house. never happen. That's why we have Waffle House, Chase. You can get breakfast anytime and alleviate. I'm getting that Waffle problem. House late at night. I'm getting Waffle House for lunch. I'm getting. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I have nothing wrong with Waffle House. Like, Waffle yeah. House so that's add that to the list. So, listeners, Preds fans, it's rough this weekend. Treat yourself. Go to brunch. Get some mimosas. Go to Waffle House uh, at two in the morning. Bowl. Get get in a fight Hash in the rumble. parking lot. Play knuck if you buck while you do it. I mean, just a real, oh, real. Yeah, I, a new Chase fan. Mm-hmm. So make sure y'all do that. Take care of yourselves because it's been it's been a little rough, but it's it's fun. There's hope and brunch rules. So yeah, go get it. There you go. Jeff Middleton, Brian Baston, always a pleasure. And I'll talk to y'all next week. See ya. All right, welcome back. Chase House Podcast, taping this on a Thursday afternoon. Connor O'Gara of SaturdayDownSouth.com is here. Connor, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's crazy we only got three weeks of the regular season left. I mm-hmm. feel like I, I always say fall goes at one and a half speed, and uh, this year has been no different. No, it's it's wild. And, I mean, the next uh, couple weeks are going to be good. I mean, outside of next week, the SEC schedule, I don't know why they do this. I mean, I guess because they want to make sure the two premier programs in the conference get all the eyeballs in Tennessee and Georgia next week. You want to make sure that everyone in the conference is locked and loaded and what's going on inside uh, Neyland Stadium next Saturday as uh, Georgia tries to tie the SEC 
uh, record here. So I, I understand why they make uh, the rest of that weekend uh, just uh, a bunch of no-name uh, G5 schools versus uh, insert favorite team here. But, you know, as you know, Connor, a, a long-term uh, ardent supporter of the Vols and everything that they've got building, you you understand why you got to make them the premier uh, watch next weekend, right? I'll take it. You know what? Mm. I call it cake week. I think cupcake yeah. week has kind of a negative connotation to it. And people consider cupcakes to be very soft. I think the SEC needs a rebranding because okay. everybody loves cake. And cake yeah. week is something that is a lot more positive, in my opinion. It can't be used hmm. against you from other conferences, from the anti-SEC crowd. Uh, and I think that there are a lot of benefits to, to cake that just aren't there with cupcakes. But that's me as a bearded guy just lashing out. So, yeah, look, having Tennessee in that premier spotlight game um, for, for the purists, I'm sure it upsets them. But at the same time, for those of us that just want to be entertained in a given weekend, mm. I'll take it. And I'm looking forward to it, even if it doesn't have East implications in terms of who's winning the division. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. We don't know yet. We'll see on Saturday if it has East implications. Um, my question to you first, is Tennessee going to win out? So they've got at Mizzou this Saturday. They go to or they get Georgia at home and Tennessee has not lost a home game since 2021. And that was uh, against Georgia uh, where I was in attendance. Um, And then you also got Vanderbilt at home, which I think will be uh, pretty doable on that front. So I ask you, Conor O'Gara, are they going to win out? No. Okay. Nope. Don't think so. Um, Look, I was all offseason last year. I was the biggest advocate that Tennessee was going to go into Athens and beat Georgia. Mm. And when Tennessee had the year that it had and is number one in the first playoff poll rankings, I was feeling pretty good about that. I was feeling Mm -hmm. feeling pretty darn good and double down, did did the whole deal. And obviously egg on my face, Georgia did what Georgia has been doing throughout this three year run. And it took the soul of a team that had life. And this year, I think that there is an expectation that Georgia, this team is just not as dominant. Now, Because they are not as dominant, some might assume that they are much more vulnerable. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. And I think we see the little things that this team does, like in a win against Mizzou, which, look, nine-point win against Mizzou, a really solid Mizzou team that I'll say some nice things about in a bit. But it's not going to lead the championship DVD. It's Mm. just not. If Georgia wins a championship, we're not going to go back to Mizzou and be like, oh, that's that's really when we figured out how good this team was. Mm. But they do so many little things over the course of a game. And even something as simple as like Jamon Dumas Johnson breaks his forearm in that Mm. game. And it's like, all right, so what's what's going to happen? You got to turn to a true freshman who comes in the game at middle linebacker and he has the pressure that ultimately forces Brady Cook into that interception that he throws to Nazir Stackhouse and is the play of the game. And and Mm. so like. They do things like that. Oscar Delp showing that he is not just a backup tight end who has benefited from his surroundings. Some of the things that he's doing in place of Brock Bowers has been darn impressive. And Georgia fans are talking like Brock Bowers is going to come back next week. So be on the lookout for that. I mean, I've always joked Brock Bowers. I don't think he's actually a human being. This would kind of confirm that. So, yeah, this Georgia team has been unbelievably impressive despite the fact that they have not been as dominant. I'm just more as someone who watched uh, Cedric Tillman come back from the same surgery a year ago on the outside. I think I, I see a lot of comparisons to what Tua's timeline was. And if he comes back Saturday, he'll be right at where Tua was a couple of years ago for Alabama. But I think the difference is, I mean, quarterback and tight end versus wide receiver, it's just different. It's a different kind of scenario. And Cedric Tillman was never the same uh, all of last year after coming back from the tightrope uh, surgery. He was effective a little bit in the Georgia game, but the explosion and just kind of being that go to guy 
was not the case the rest of the way when he comes back. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, I, I understand it's Brock Bowers. He's a, a man among boys. But my if I was a Georgia fan, I would be very, I, I don't know, I'd just be very cautious, cautious with my expectations of what he'll ultimately be the rest of the way because he also has to think about what's uh, coming down the pike, the next level, things like that. I just, my gut tells me, he is not going you're not going to see the version of Brock Bowers before the injury the rest of this season my guess especially in workload yeah I don't know that the volume is going to be quite the same that's the thing Mm -hmm. about him that's just so unbelievable is that how many tight ends have you watched take over football games and we've seen him do it on several occasions even the 2021 SEC championship a game that Georgia lost the only time they've lost in the last what 43 games Mm. I actually thought Brock Bowers took over that game down the stretch if you go back and watch and it was so unbelievable to watch a true freshman play as well as he did on that stage but yeah I I, I'm kind of more on your side with that than the belief that he's going to come back and look like Brock Bowers I Mm. will say if there's anybody if there's Mm. anybody who's going to come back on a quick timeline from that surgery and do incredible things it's Brock Bowers, who, for yeah. my money, is the best player in college football when he is healthy. And while I am admittedly skeptical about the the really quick timeline, I, I just think that some of the things that he has done has already made us rethink what's possible of the tight end position in college football. Why not make us rethink what's possible of the human angle? Absolutely. Um, you talked about Mizzou and Georgia and what we learned, and like that won't be ultimately like what got Georgia uh, back to an, a, a three-peat status by taking care of Mizzou at home. But they did play with uh, Georgia really well. And I'm curious, over the last two years, because they obviously had Georgia on the ropes at home last year in Columbia, and then they played them really well deep into uh, the fourth quarter last year, or last week. And I, I'm curious from your perspective and your vantage point, Connor, what does Mizzou do uniquely that frustrates this Georgia team over the last two times that other SEC teams have not been able to crack their pressure packages are unique what Blake Mm. Baker has done as the defensive coordinator of this Mizzou team the last two years I think what he does to confuse that Georgia offensive line is something that other teams are going to try and copy because Carson Beck wasn't hit like that all year he was sacked three times in that game last Mm. week and they were doing things with their front seven that I think kind of flustered that offensive line. And I, I, you know, I've rarely come away from a game feeling like Georgia's offensive line didn't have that advantage. And that was a game in which I didn't really think they had that advantage. And mm. Carson Beck is great when he's kept clean. When he is kept clean and throwing deep over the middle, he is so fun to watch. And the ability that he has to stretch the field with such poise has continued to improve. But if you you knock him off of, of his schedule and you kind of get him to a place where he's rushing throws, that's where you're going to have success. And, you know, last year they had four consecutive drives Georgia did where they got into the red zone and I think didn't come away with a touchdown. Like mm. It was field goal every single time. So obviously seven points, three points. You'd rather have the three points if you're a defense and doing that. Um, that's a very basic way to look at it. But that, that Mizzou, that Mizzou defense deserves a lot of credit because they were the, they were a, a huge reason why they were able to stay in that game, a game in which Luther Burden is banged up in the middle of it. And that's something that, you know, I'm wondering about going into this, this Tennessee game, but that Mizzou defense is uh, it, it's, it's not going to be lights out, unbelievable, hold you to three points for, for an entire game, but they do things very well up front. They're very experienced up front. And I wonder, too, with, I mean, the biggest thing with Georgia that's different that we you talked about with the sacks for uh, Carson Beck is he's just not a mobile guy. Like, he's not going to create with his legs to the extent that Stetson Bennett was just so frustrating, especially in the Tennessee-Georgia game last year, was just that, like, 
he he's a difference maker with his legs. He's far more comfortable. He has a lot more wiggle than Carson um, in that regard. And that's been something that Tennessee fans have been very frustrated with Joe up until the last few weeks is that now you have these design runs. Now you have Joe searching for contact early in the first quarter to kind of get him uh, kind of get him in a groove. Um, and I think that's been a huge difference maker for Joe and completing nearly 80% of his passes the last few weeks is that he is in a really good rhythm and he is so much more comfortable running with the football. I wonder if that is something that we have to watch uh, for this Georgia team is um, you don't see a lot of these kind of prototype quarterbacks. Because, um, I mean, look at Michigan with uh, uh, J.D. McCarthy. He's still pretty movable. Max Duggan last year was very comfortable uh, on the run. Um, you look at just um, the majority of the Pac-12 quarterbacks who are really good this year. Bo Nix, obviously very comfortable with his legs. I just don't think you see many guys like Beck and Milton uh, from uh, the early part of the year uh, have a lot of success. And even Jane Daniels uh, and Jalen Milrow, part of the reason that that game was so high scoring last weekend was because both guys were so good on the ground and just frustrate defenses so much. And they put so much pressure on them when they have that added element of being uh, okay with uh, running the football. And I wonder if that's something that ultimately inhibits Georgia uh, down the stretch here. I don't know. Uh, I'm curious what you think. It could. I think Carson Beck is has some mobility that reminds me of Setson. If you look really? at some of the, yeah, I do. I, I and he doesn't have to run as much. Mm. He hasn't necessarily like he's he's not necessarily as confident in that area. I think that's more so what it is. But if you look at the moves that he will make in the red zone and some of the times where he puts his foot in the dirt, you'll be like, oh, okay, all right. Mm. Didn't know that you had that in the back. He doesn't do it as often, but he still does it more than the level of a Jake Fromm, who, my God, I don't know if there is, PFF probably has this stat or something like that, but if there is a stat for yards left on the field for RPOs that you should have kept, Jake Fromm is the all-time leader at that. Like mm. the amount of holes that that guy could have run through, and instead he's like, nah, you know what, I'm going to hand it off to Sonny Michelle. I'm going to hand it off to Nick Chubb. Don't blame him. I would do the same thing too. DeAndre Swift as well, no big deal. But like the amount of times where defenses did not, consider it a true RPO and he could have had 12 yards easily. I think Beck is a little bit more willing to do that than, than a from, but he's mm. not quite as confident as Stetson Bennett. And he's not going to make the plays like some of the things that Stetson was doing against Oregon and where he's just backing up against pressure and, and continuing to keep his eyes downfield. Like that's not necessarily in Carson Beck's bag just yet, but I, I still am, am really encouraged by the mobility within the pocket and in his in, in his confidence to be able to keep his eyes downfield and not look down at his feet and assume that a sack is coming. Let's say um, Tennessee does beat Georgia next week. They beat them. It's at home. It's in Neyland. It's going to be rocking. The East may or may not. I, I tend to agree with you that I don't think the East will be up for grabs um, next week, but I do also think Tennessee's beat Mizzou on Saturday. But I wonder from your perspective, do they what what is the path what is the path to tennessee uh dethroning this georgia team at home in this kind of atmosphere with some of the limitations that georgia has this year that they may not have had uh the last two years because they are a little bit different and part of what just destroyed tennessee uh outside of the rain <laughs> um uh, that a lot of people have had fun with uh last year in athens was that there was no answer for jalen carter like they were sending doubles but hinden hooker didn't have time you just it, there was nothing you could really do with somebody like jalen carter or jordan davis in the middle of the last two years they don't really have that game changer on the defensive line. And Tennessee's offensive line is as healthy, healthy as they've been at any point this year. And I think they'll be okay. Like, I think they've handled the strong fronts like Texas A&M, very good defensive front. They weren't able to really put a lot of pressure on Milton in that game. I think they'll ultimately have a lot more time than they had the last two years. 
I think obviously Hypo plays a lot better at home um, than he does on the road in the SEC. I think it will be, I mean, you look at the DraftKings line, it's at seven uh, for next week as of right now. I think depending on how this weekend goes, it's going to be a very close, lower scoring game than people might anticipate going into next week. But I don't think it's a slam dunk that it's like, oh, Georgia's just going to come back and do what they did uh, the last two years, which was really put the clamps on Tennessee in the second half and kind of upend them, similar to what Bama did at home uh, in the second half uh, against Tennessee. But I don't know. Do you share that sentiment or uh, do you think there is a path to Tennessee actually uh, giving the dogs their first loss? I'm not quite there, but if there is a path, it starts this weekend. Mm. I think Georgia's stretch of having three potential top 15 opponents, depending on how the Tennessee Mizzou result plays out this weekend, having three consecutive top 15 matchups, is not easy, especially this time of year. I mean, like I I remember 2010 Alabama having that stretch, that three game stretch stretch where by the end of it, the South Carolina Stephen Garcia game happens. Mm. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen to Georgia, but if Georgia is in a dogfight with Ole Miss, which I think is mm-hmm. on the table. I, I really do. I, I think Ole Miss does a lot of things that that Mizzou does. And I think that being able to, to stay in a 60-minute game with them is very much on the table, despite the fact that Georgia hasn't lost at home at night since 2009. I mean, this is obviously a, kind of a terrifying. <laughs> that is terrifying, man. Like mm-hmm. that, If I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm just like, oh, really? It's been 14 years. Yeah. Okay, sweet. But also, if you're an Ole Miss fan right now, you're just like, this is all awesome. Like, Lane's got you in uncharted waters right yeah. now. Like, you're playing a top 10 game on the road at Georgia at night, like with all eyeballs on you. It's like, you're, at what point are you like, no, this is pretty great. This might be the pinnacle of what we can be in the SEC in 2023. See, that's the rational perspective. And then there's yeah. the other of, hey, we're now paying a head coach nine million bucks a year. And this yeah. we're very much seeing our ceiling this year. It's never going to get better than this. And there are some fans that see that reality and they're like, oh, crap, that kind of sucks. But yeah, I, I think that the path starts this weekend for, for both teams. I, I think mm-hmm. on the Georgia side, like playing playing a 60 minute game against Ole Miss and coming into Tennessee where like, man, by the end of it, you could be questioning. Does this Georgia team have its legs, a defensive mm-hmm. line that doesn't have the depth that it's had the last two years? Could they be struggling to slow down this Tennessee ground game down the stretch, this versatile, dynamic Tennessee ground game? That, that I think, is the path. And then also for Tennessee, I want to see these deep connections this week. I want to see those against those aggressive Mizzou corners. Abram Strain, who's going to be an NFL guy, is going to be one of the top corners taken in the 2024 draft, very likely. And I want to see, can Joe Milton establish that deep connection and not just do so against weaker competition and not do so because a cornerback falls down like like the the long pass that he had in the Kentucky game, which well, you know, Chaz nice did play. kind of juke him. That Chaz deserves a lot of credit for what he did on that True. route. I would say that was a lot of Chaz Nimrod and what he did to that corner. True. That's that's perfectly fair. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, like the you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like yeah. so many times with, with Hendon. It was like if a guy had a step, he just hit him. Yeah. And with this Tennessee offense, that just hasn't been the case this year. It's crazy yeah. to think that what is it? Auburn, I think, is the only team with fewer 20 yard completions than Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, that, that is just baffling for a Josh Heupel offense. So can you see that this weekend? Can you see that mm-hmm. against Mizzou? Because if you do that against Mizzou, you have a lot better chance of doing it against George. Doesn't mean that you're gonna have that great of success because I think Laster, what he's done on the outside at corner for Georgia, Tyke Smith is having a whale of a year now that he's finally healthy. And on the back end, Malachi Starks, man, is uh, as good as it gets at the safety position. So it, it's not that it's an easy group to throw on by any means, but just being able to have that time and maybe it's a gas defensive line for Georgia. That's the path for, for, for Tennessee. I think it starts this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the right, I think the matchup actually kind of favors Tennessee in a weird way where this year, 
Tennessee, like you alluded to, is just they're not a downfield team. They're not taking shots. They had a couple broken plays. Like uh, Joe had a great ball to squirrel where he actually threw guys open on Saturday. And we haven't seen Joe throw guys open at all this year. And I was telling uh, some buddies this week about like one of the jarring things about Nico versus Joe in the same game is that Nico is already like he's big Bryce Young like that. It's almost like this man has only been watching Bryce Young tape uh, for the last four years. And he's just a six, seven version of him. So he in the biggest reason is he's so natural in the pocket where he's not looking to run, but his eyes are always downfield and a play is never dead. Like he is just moving around. And he has such a natural feel for the pocket and moving to be exactly where he needs to be. He's so comfortable off platform. Those are all things Joe cannot do. Joe yep. tried to do that. And you can see when things go awry for Joe. Joe deserves credit for buying into the coaching and just being like, you are going to be the elite game manager. And that is what he's been where it's so robotic. Like those throws were just like it. There's no, tw- it's just, it's, it's amazing to watch where it's like, he's almost like a hype, a hypo cyborg now where he is. You're allowed to do this, this, and this. And they tried to make it easy this year to start the year where they were doing side to side, like all the passes early on with side to side. And you have Brew McCoy who's one of the best wide receiver blockers in college football. So made sense why you're trying to do that to break squirrel and Dante Thornton open. Dante Thornton being a huge bust out of the portal uh, from Oregon, I think it's been a big limitation as to why Tennessee is not uh, taking a lot of those deep shots because Squirrel's just more of an over the middle guy. Like he's more of the screens. He's not the Jalen Hyatt in the slot that they've had the last couple of years. So Which I, I think there was going to be. be a... And I was, I was wrong about that. I definitely thought he was going to be like step in because you look at the numbers yeah. last year, what he was doing down the stretch, you're like, God, yeah. they got another one. And and I thought I, I one of my bull predictions was that Squirrel White was going to lead the SEC in receiving. Yeah. And I'm not going to hit on that one. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It hasn't necessarily been the receiving room that we thought Tennessee could have yeah. in part because of the McCoy injury and then Thornton as well. Yeah. They just don't have dudes. Like that's part of it. It's just, they don't have like the, they don't have second round NFL draft guys. They don't have third round NFL draft guys right now. Um, Mike Matthews, five stars coming in. Like they have town, the pipeline, but it takes time to learn this offense. It takes time. Like Jalen Hyatt wasn't a dude his first year in the hypo system. Like he was yeah. okay, but then he just popped out of nowhere last year and it just all clicked. So I don't know. Uh, it might be Squirrel next year. It might be Dante Thornton on the outside because he's moved back to the outside, which is where he seems to be a lot more comfortable than in the slot. Maybe he pops next year in a Javante Payton type uh, deal where it's just only touchdowns and then it's like I'm going to get my cardio in for the rest of uh, this game. But I mean, to bring it all home, Jalen Wright averaging over seven yards a carry. Dylan Sampson uh, really emerging as a just a completely different uh, change of pace guy. Jabari Small uh, being just steady Eddie uh, as the third back. I think this is the type of team that you saw Mizzou. They gave uh, Georgia problems. You saw um, teams that are going to give them issues is that teams that stop the run can get after the quarterback. Tennessee James Pierce has been a huge breakout candidate for them. Tyler Barron's been awesome in his final year here. I think they're going to get pressure on Carson Beck. And I also think Tennessee's more, they've shown they can win games where they don't score 30 points anymore. They have shown now that Heupel is versatile where he was all pass last year and now it's all run. The best thing about Georgia's defense this year is what you talked about. Lassiter, Tyke Smith, Malachi Starks. Tennessee is more than fine not challenging those guys deep. Tennessee That's is true. more than fine being like, look, if you're going to do, if you're going to stay back and you're going to uh, play physical on the outside and play physical on the perimeter and not let our guys get open, fine. But we're still going to run the ball down your throat and we're going to bank on the beat up linebackers and just not as deep of a defensive line rotation and see if we can win that way at home. And I think that's actually a more uh, advantageous situation for Tennessee than what we've seen the last two years, which is weird 
because yes. you would never say, oh, you know what the the, the plan of attack is against this yeah. first defense? It's actually, just run the ball right at him. Like, yes. What? That doesn't that doesn't seem right. I guess what then, they're going to do though. I, I do too. I, I think it's I think it's the path. And obviously, you'd love to be able to hit on the occasional deep shot. Yeah. I, to me, that's that's the backbreaker. That that's mm. what's going to push this over the top. And you know, the old cliche: establish it. You get a safety to to bite once, you know, his mm-hmm. eyes are in the backfield over the top boom. That that is when Hypel is at his best, his absolute best with this team. And this Georgia defense that we saw have so many struggles in that Auburn game against mm-hmm. a very one-dimensional Auburn offense that has set the forward pass back about a hundred years. And they've had a, mm-hmm. a better couple of weeks competition, probably something to do with that. But the the takeaway from that game was oh my God, Georgia just had its worst day defending the run in five years. Mm-hmm. You can run on Georgia. That that seems strange. Then the next week, Ray Davis really struggled to run against Georgia. It was a Georgia home game at night, as we just mentioned. Yeah, they are lights out at at home at night. But I, I do think that is the the path for for Tennessee is sticking to what it does best. You don't have to reinvent the wheel and try and stretch the field. And it's a very different approach than what they probably had last year. An ineffective approach because of what they had in Jalen Carter up front, because they could have that extra help in the defensive backfield to be able to, to to not get beat over the top by these Tennessee receivers. Like we saw Alabama get beat by them, obviously, in that game in, in Knoxville. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I don't want to look past the game this weekend, though, that, that Tennessee has against Mizzou, because I feel like that's, that's so on the back burner nationally because of the two top 10 matchups we have with Ole Miss and, and Georgia, and then obviously – Michigan and Penn State, Michigan finally playing somebody. But uh yeah, I, I am looking forward to that one. I feel like there there are there are going to be a lot of interesting takeaways on, on both sides for those teams. I think it's gonna be close, but it's a it's a big one. And I think uh Tennessee should be fine, um, by and large. I'm I'm not as worried about Mizzou as I, I was a few weeks ago. And I also think you know what's great? Tennessee took advantage of playing Texas AM right after AM got their brains beat in by Alabama. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. This is really good timing to get them right after uh Georgia and the physical nature of what that was and and to just go right back and play another just highly physical team uh this version of Tennessee is going to be tough for them to stop I think Tennessee should be fine but I do think it's gonna be close uh late um it won't be like the first two where this hypo team really blew out Um, 60 plus yeah yeah, like I don't think it's gonna be the case uh on Saturday but we'll see uh final thing Connor rapid fire here's your picks and then we get out of here Tennessee Mizzou how do you think it goes I did a uh, disclaimer on my pick. I never do this. I okay. never do this. I said Mizzou, if Luther Burden plays, okay. wins by three. If Luther Burden doesn't play, Tennessee wins by three. Okay. That fair? That's fair. Okay. All right. I disagree, but that's fair. <laughs> uh, Ole Miss, Georgia. Georgia, but it's close. Ole Miss covers. I could see a world in which Ole Miss has a chance to win it late. Mm. with a final possession and then it's like jackson dart taking a a big time sack georgia gets off the field it's like a 31 28 type game interesting i think this is carson beck's best game i think carson beck actually unloads and exposes this uh old miss defense is not as good as what people might think i think it's like 45 georgia 24 old miss i don't think this is as close as uh mizzou i actually think georgia's a big breakout week do you know the the lane stat that i've that I dug up early mm. in, in the offseason that's been making the rounds. Georgia fans have got a hold of it, and they're like, oh, we're all in this weekend. Mm. Lane in his career as a head coach, his entire career as a head coach, mm. in games against Power 5 teams who have gone on to win nine regular season games or more, he's 1-19 in 19 in those games mm. in his career. Doesn't have a win against a Power 5 team who went on to win nine regular season games 
since 2011 when he was at USC and they beat Oregon. Have every and now if LSU goes nine and three this year, obviously that's win number two. They got to win out though. They got to win out, so it's not even a given that they're mm-hmm. going to get there. But that's the one thing that I come back to with Lane all the time. That I'm like, is he the best fit for Ole Miss? Obviously, no doubt about it. But in a big time game like this, I just can't quite get there. No, especially on the road. Like it's just it's different yeah. when you play at Georgia and uh, Alabama. And um, Hypo uh, will say nothing on on the matter as what it's like playing in those two uh, particular venues. Uh, then final one, Tennessee, Georgia. So let's say with those picks, they go the way that you think they do. So if Tennessee loses to Mizzou and Georgia wins, how do you think Tennessee Georgia goes? Do you think they lose back to back in this scenario? Yeah, that's early. It's early for a pick on that one, man. It really is. Are uh, you really gonna go zero for two for the Vols over the next two weeks with how they're playing? Are you gonna do it? It's it'd be point five and one and a half. I guess it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still picking Georgia to win. I'm st- I'm still picking Georgia to win on the road. It's not look. It's not personal. Heartbreaking. Look, it feels personal. That's uh, hey, if anything, that's that's good. Uh, don't look at my picks against the spread this year. Lock of the week has been really good. Okay, uh, but just don't yeah. lock. Okay, you can lock us up, but no picks of the week or no no yeah. just normal. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, we're not we're not gonna do lock of the week on that one. But look, I think Georgia has found so many unique ways to be able to win, and yeah. and they are so comfortable for a team that is they're so comfortable late in games now for a team that is so dominant. And that's just not a given. And like they, yeah. you see the way that they, they come into halftime. And I don't know if you saw at halftime, the SEC Network tweeted this out, but when they were getting smoked by by South Carolina in that first half, and it was like, mm. what in the world is going on? And you see the way that Kirby approaches his team. You see the way that Glenn Schumann addresses that entire defense. And you're just like, oh, okay, I get it. Mm. I get it. I get why this team doesn't flinch. And in a game like this, on the road, big-time atmosphere, even with the East – possibly locked up very likely going to be locked up i still think that they're going to have the right approach and as much as i do love what tennessee has embraced this year and how they have played into their strengths i still think that georgia and carson Beck they, they find a way they just find a way to be able to win one of these games on the road heartbreaking a lot of big recruits for this one too it's gonna be fired up it's a humongous recruiting weekend uh for tennessee as they try and close up uh, this 2024 and 2025 class uh early on but um connor what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at SaturdayDownSouth.com in the podcast this week? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, my buddy Matt Hayes joined me. Episode drops, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, yeah, dropped Thursday morning mm. and uh, got into a lot of different coaching candidate stuff, which I always love talking about with Matt because he's super, super plugged in, talks coordinator stuff, USC defensive coordinator openings, threw out a few names there that are really interesting. Florida potentially getting a play caller in there for Billy Napier, what that would look like, some potential candidates there. Uh, a lot of interesting things to discuss with Matt. And then obviously, you know, previewing a, a very interesting week 11 in the SEC. We only get two of these weeks in the entire season, wherein it's mm. full seven, seven SEC games, no bye weeks, no non-conference games. I, I love that. There are a lot more takeaways from that for, for people in the content business like us. Uh, it definitely makes the, the content wheel spin a little bit faster. So yeah, a lot of great stuff. And Saturday on South.com, as I always tell people, the, the best one-stop shop for any college sports fan that'll keep you plugged in, whether you want to skip a little bit of time at work and just spend an afternoon catching up on your favorite team or catching up on, you know, team that your, your team's playing in a few weeks, whatever we got you covered. There you go. Do it today. SaturdayOnSouth.com and subscribe to the podcast. It's very good. And I love listening to it each and every week. Connor, thank you so much. And uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Absolutely.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 